Hello and welcome to the PLUS podcast. I'm Rachel Thomas. The worlds of mathematics and movie making collided last week when the Millennium Mathematics Project, of which PLUS is a part, hosted the UK premiere of the intellectual thriller Travelling Salesman here at the Centre for Mathematical Sciences in Cambridge. Unusually in this movie, nearly every character is a mathematician and at its heart is one of the greatest unsolved mathematical questions. Does P equal NP? These letters stand for two complexity classes. In essence, P is those problems that are easy to solve. That is, if you've got a problem of size N, then a computer would take N or N squared or N cubed time to solve it, something called polynomial time. So an example of a P problem is multiplying two numbers together, something any computer can do quickly. NP, on the other hand, are problems that if we were given a solution, we can easily check if they're correct, so we can check them in polynomial time on a computer. An example of an NP problem is factoring numbers, say factoring the number 713. If I give you the factors 23 and 31, you can quickly check if they multiply together to get 713. But if I gave you 713 and asked you to tell me its prime factors, it seems this is a much harder problem. And there are many such NP problems, such as factoring, that we don't know if there is a quick way to solve. So in real life, we don't know if P and NP are the same. However, the premise of the movie, Travelling Salesman, is that four mathematicians do manage to prove that P equals NP, and all the fascinating consequences such a proof might have. We were lucky enough to have the movie's writer and director, Timothy Lanzone, fly over especially from New York for the screening. We talked to him just before the film started, and we asked him, how did he end up making a film about an unsolved mathematical question? The the short story is uh, my brother's a computer scientist, mathematician, and introduced me to the concept of, of, of P versus NP. The longer story is when I wanted to make a movie, and I knew I had to limit it and confine it, um, and so I wanted to tell a dramatic story in one room, which was a big challenge. Uh, you know, Twelve Angry Men is one of my favorite films, and it was kind of like a, a early starting influence, saying, I don't have any money, I don't have a ton of time to shoot this, how do I tell a really interesting story that's going to keep people's attention and most of it take place in one room so I can actually make this happen. So so that was kind of an initial thought was what if these guys create something that is just, you know, groundbreaking, that just, you know, the world stops and changes from that point on. What I initially wrote was uh, a script about uh, if if these guys factored the prime number and, and the implications of that. And a lot of them a lot of the implications that we see in Traveling Salesman now were, were similar, at least in my non-mathematical mind. A lot of the uh, implications and consequences uh, in cryptography and, and public encryption were, were the same. When I sent it to my brother, when I sent the script to my brother and said, hey, who's a computer scientist, what, what do you think of this? He said, this is great, but why don't we take a look at this idea of P versus NP? And that's when he kind of opened my eyes to the whole concept. And I said, wow, that's a really interesting fit. So we kind of, it kind of, I kind of found P versus NP. We kind of fell into each other. Um, and then we, we, from there, we kind of tweaked and restructured to, to kind of fit into that world. Um, and, and then before we knew it, we, we had what we considered a pretty dramatic and interesting story taking place in one room that we were able to shoot and, and, and kind of able to get our heads around um, and get it done. So... I, re- I really liked um, 
the fact that you know there's there's mathematical detail in the movie. A character kind of demonstrates the problem using a pack of cards and a magic right. trick. Um, and at another point in the movie, you have uh, one of the mathematicians talking about sand and desert, and then suddenly this sort of metaphor comes to mind that helps right. him solve the problem. I mean, where did you get those sorts of insights? Did you talk to mathematicians about how they explain the problem, how they tackle research? Yeah, a little bit. Um, uh, my brother talked to a lot of his friends in, in, the, in the field, and we kind of wanted to uh, come up with a simple construct for kind of explaining the, a very complex problem. We, we wanted the movie to feel realistic for mathematicians, but we also... Uh, wanted it to be accessible to the film community, you know. So, so the fine line is, you know, it's a very fine line that we had to walk. So, yeah. So the idea behind just kind of coming up with some simple constructs, I thought from the start was kind of essential for us to to quickly and easily kind of explain the implications of the problem, just showing something quick and and in some cases visually, you know, visually showing it, um, and, and kind of putting in the. You know, slide into the script so it felt seamless as opposed to forced in there. Like, oh, we have to explain what this is, so let's cut to a little scene about. It. We want to kind of make it feel, you know, seamless and part, you know, natural and part of the conversation that flows in the film. So, and to be honest, those were those were scenes that uh, it took us a while to kind of get down because we we had initially written some more complicated and maybe I should say convoluted explanations or just kind of quick uh, constructs for that. And it just wasn't working, so we, we you know, we, we fell into the car trick idea. Um, and I forget the genesis of that, but uh, we felt that it was just quick, it was easy, it was visual uh, for for non you know, for non mathematical audience members. They'll, they'll quickly grasp, you know, the, the concept behind it. So, yeah, in, in a movie like this, we, and we move quickly, and we don't pay too many punches. You know, we everything is hard hitting and moving fast so that the you know if, if someone is not involved and an audience member does not understand what's happening which we, was a big concern of ours you know they'll be lost and just completely with you know they'll withdraw from the film and not care about it at all so we wanted to get that we wanted to pay those things off early and and make sure everybody really gets what the power of the, of, of, of the solution is I think um, I was talking to a friend about it saying because, you know, I'd done a bit of reading and I knew a little bit about the problem, I was thinking, I wonder if it would be a bit intimidating. But then I was talking to a friend, she said, well, you love watching medical dramas and there's a constant stream of things you don't understand right. in there. So, um, yeah, so, it, but it would be interesting to hear from people who, who maybe haven't got that background and see what they um, yes. let get out of it. Yeah, it's been, we've had some feedback and, and it's always been positive, but a lot of times the feedback has been they, uh, they just, believe the actors and the, and the story because they got nothing else to do so they just kind of buy into it and they just go for the ride so which is you know in some ways it's good because it means they're believing the performances and they're just kind of into the story which we we, we were like all right well that's the way it is we'll, we'll take that um so yeah the the other thing i really liked is um mathematicians it's rare to see a mathematician in a movie anyway <laughs> but if you do they're almost always crazy and or they're incredibly eccentric. So it was really nice to see these four characters who were um, uh, normal and three-dimensional and kind of flawed as well. Right. Um, and I was wondering, when you approached writing characters for, that were mathematicians, did you have something in your mind that you had to think differently or were they just another character similar to any other character? That's a good question. I je one of the things when people... I do a little screenwriting teaching, and one of the things that people always ask, like, how do you come up with your characters, or how do you write dialogue 
for your individual characters. And one thing I always say is that every character is a little bit you. So you, I always write characters from kind of my perspective and, and knowing that, you know, kind of a, maybe a background story or kind of who they are a little bit, I kind of write how I would say what they're saying, you know, given the kind of certain parameters that I, you know, I constructed for them. So, you know, and I knew my, you know, my brother's a math or computer scientist, mathematician, so I knew a lot of his friends. So, and they were all really funny, normal people. So it's funny you write the stereotypes often uh, that they're crazy eccentrics with crazy hair and, you know, you know, shrieking Eureka or something ridiculous. So it's, it, yeah, it, and I wanted the film to just not feel cliched. Like I always try to, if I can, anything I write, try to avoid like the cliche territory. So, you know, these, these are just kind of four, you know, they're not normal because of, you know, their intelligence, their, you know, their high level intelligence, but they're, you know, they're, they're four people who've just done this incredible thing and they're, they're normal in a sense that they have to kind of now figure out what to do with this. And it's, it's, you know, this is beyond kind of their realm of, of what they're, what they're experts at. So, it, um, but yeah, making them just feel real and, and, and not cliched uh, caricatures was like essential. Just you know, especially in a, in, a, in a room, a small room that we can find our guys to. If somebody's really annoying or somebody you just don't, you know, it's you can't get a, you know you can't get around it. The story will just stop every time they're on camera. So we, you kind of want everybody to be, you put it in a good way, but you know, somewhat likable, but you know, flawed in the same way. And and uh, you know, hopefully on some level, we we got to that point. So. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting is so they're sort of debating the ethical consequences of their um, of their discovery, and I I thought what was really interesting is you both had the sort of ethical consequences that you'd think of you know it being used for evil or it being used for good but no one can use it for good because it's secret mm-hmm. um, because their work is classified. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really interesting that you brought in this point one of the characters concern it kind of almost ignores that and instead his thing is a kind of intellectual integrity sort of argument and that it's not so much a good or evil question but just that you can't you can't hold back a fundamental piece of knowledge from the world. And I thought that was really interesting. I mean was that was that some idea you had from the beginning or was that something that happened as you were writing? I think or? that that developed I, I I when I'm writing the scripts I generally have kind of a a very vague roadmap. It's not specific. So kind of the the uh, the way it flows, which I like, is is very uh, natural and and so it's it's that that plot point just felt right for the character to kind of really make a stand. I, I knew he was going to kind of be the at the end of the film. I wanted everybody against him, and he was going to be on an island. So you know, he got to a point throughout the film. He slowly starts differentiating himself from the other characters. Um, so you know, I, I knew I wanted to get to a point where he was—he he seems to want to be doing it for a, a more righteous reason, um, and and I liked him on that island, and then kind of juxtaposed with how we see the film finishing, um, it, it is my, maybe an interesting kind of combination of who, who's right, who's wrong here. Is this you know I, you know I, who's to say really? It was nice to have this um, portrayal and I think accurate portrayal of mathematics as being really fundamental to technology and the way we live and medical advancement. Is that sort of something that that you thought before you did this work, you know, researching the film? Or? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was saying to you earlier, I've, I've always been ba- uh, just amazed when, you know, just at, at these kind of cr- amazing discoveries 
that mathematicians or, or scientists make, you know, the ones that kind of change things for, you know, the better for some cases um, you can make, you know, for the worse, as we talk a little bit about in the film. So that, it was always, it's all, I've always just been fascinated by that idea that somebody could, you know, somebody's brain is this powerful, it's, it's, it can just do that. Yeah, the, the idea that these, you know, that these guys could just change the world and, and just, it was always, I just loved that idea. I felt it was, it was like a, and just that the moment that they realize they've done it and what to do with it is it's like a moment in time, a little snapshot that I've always wanted to know it was, you know, after Einstein did something, you know, it's like the next day, what is he, well, I just did that and, you know, everybody's agreeing with me and I just, what do I do now? I just, I just you know, I'll never be in that situation, but it's just fascinating to me, like, that these guys, and it's something so powerful that they're now struggling with, with wow, we just did it, you know, almost like a whoops, mm -hmm. you know, it's like congratulations, but whoops, look yeah. what we've done. So I did, I think it's, it's interesting as well that it's um, this isn't a fictional situation. I was talking to um, John Barrow and he was saying that there's people here whose work is classified. You know that when they put in their research assessment exercises, certain review panels can't read them because they don't have right. the classification. So it's interesting. This isn't a fictional scenario. This is real that people yeah. do do this research. My, my, my brother, when he, after grad school, he worked at uh, Sandia National Labs in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is one of you know the government-run labs where he, everything he worked on was classified. So he kind of, he, he, you know, down to the detailing of the documents that we had was all accurate. Um, so he was, he was like very involved with, with classified projects and um, he did a lot of cryptography. I don't. He wasn't really allowed to tell us what more he did. But yeah, does it's, he, it's. Does he have any letters from the president thanking him? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Actually, if he did, he probably locked him away somewhere. It's definitely very real and, and happens at a lot of academic institutions. These, you know, people are working on some interesting things that people want to keep secret. So it's funny. You know, it's a lot. It's you know quite obvious that if someone's doing um, a med medical degree, they need to you know, take a course in ethics or if they're mm -hmm. doing anything that, you know, a lot of technology degrees. Right. But you just don't think a mathematics degree should have an ethics, ethics component, yeah. but maybe, maybe <laughs> it should, I don't know. That's a very good point. That's <laughs> very true. And business, you have to take ethics. And yeah. if you're going to get your MBA, sure. Um, yeah. I so mean, they have a lot of power. I mean, it, what, this, what, these, what is being innovated um, at a lot of these schools is, you know, can be powerful. So it's a uh, funny point. And given that... Um, the building we're sitting in, um, Centre for Mathematical Sciences in Cambridge, houses the Ball Professor of <laughs> Mathematics here, Tim Gowers, who one of your characters holds that position. I mean, is it strange to be yeah. here in this it's, place? And it is. It is surreal. Um, yeah, it's. It, I think surreal is the perfect word. Yeah, it's. It's one of those ones when you're sitting in your little room. You know, I, I think I started writing the script back in 2009, so it's been you know three, four years now. Um, to you know, kind of be here is is very surreal, very cool. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's really really cool. So, well, I suppose we should head down to the premiere and Absolutely. see what everyone thinks. Thanks All a right. lot, Tim. Thank you very much. Jonathan Oppenheim from the University College London gave an introductory talk on the P versus NP problem before the premiere of the film last week. We talked to Jonathan, unfortunately, on a very dodgy phone line, so apologies for the sound in this interview. We asked him about P versus NP, and he started off by telling us a surprising example of an NP problem that many of us are familiar with. Another example of Sudoku and Minesweeper, these sorts of kind of puzzles are also NP. In fact, they're, they're 
um, what's called NP complete, meaning that they're, they're as hard as they're, they're the hardest problem you can get in NP. And uh, you know, if you played Sudoku, you know that um, if I give you a solution, if I if I give, if I solve the puzzle for you, you can very quickly check that I have the correct solution. But finding the correct solution is very difficult. You need to basically it takes trial and error to to check to get the solution. So it's difficult to get the solution, but checking that I've got the correct solution is very easy. So at the moment, mathematicians don't know if all the problems in NP are actually really hard, or if there are ways to solve them quickly that we just don't know about. That's right. So um, most, I would say, most almost all computer scientists believe that that NP is different to P. In other words, that there are problems in NP that you can never solve in polynomial time. But we don't have a proof of that, and then because we don't have a proof of that, we can never be sure. So it may be that there's a very um, quick way that a computer could solve very hard problems that we just haven't discovered yet. Can you imagine what the consequences of a proof of P equals NP would be? <laughs> well, I would probably be out of a job <laughs> in the sense that you could basically program a computer to do what mathematicians do. Um, because it would mean that all these hard things that we, we think we're doing, like proving theorems, they're actually really easy and a computer could solve it in polynomial time. And you could also, um, you know, computers would be able to solve all kinds of problems which right now are difficult. So problems in biology, um, finding drugs, for example, uh, you know, simulating things with a computer, we would be able to do that very efficiently if P was equal to NP. Um, drug companies would be ecstatic because they could basically test all their drugs on a computer. So there would be a lot of a lot of advantages. Um, we could do a huge amount of things now if P was equal to NP. There would also be some there's consequences in the sense that all of um, all of cryptography, all of our financial infrastructure, all uh, all of you know the internet, the security on the internet, is all based around the fact that there are problems which are difficult to solve. Um, that there are, you know, like that factoring is difficult to solve. So if factoring was in fact easy to solve, it would mean that you know anyone could rob any bank they wanted. People could basically get your password, any password they wanted to. They could get any credit card they wanted to, and it would basically mean that banks would have to stop doing financial transactions, um, and probably the economy would just grind to a halt because no one would be able to transfer money anywhere. So there's some consequences of P equaling NP, which was the the premise in the movie, but you mentioned as well if um, we could prove that P doesn't equal NP, that there are truly hard problems, that that would have consequences as well. Yeah, that's certainly the case. And um, I mean, in some sense, at the moment, we already assume that P is not equal to NP. Um, but if we were sure about it, then we would know, you know there's, there's, th there's questions in biology which, which we would be able to answer. Um, we would know, for example, that certain problems in physics will never find a solution to. You know, the, the complexity classes, although it's a, a, an important problem in computer science, it's actually um, the problem of P versus NP is actually an important problem in all areas of science because it would have repercussions in biology, in physics, in economics, um, you know, throughout throughout science. And um, what did you what did you think of the movie? I mean, the the movie is one of the few movies I've seen where the the majority of the cast are mathematicians and the kind of drama at the heart of the, the movie is about um, a mathematical discovery. What, what did you think when you watched the movie? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of it's a bit weird to, to see something that you've worked on suddenly become, you know, kind of a, a, a thriller in, uh, 
turn into a thriller film, but I think it's well, it's nice for the movies is, is that it's actually about the mathematical problems. There are lots of math movies which are about mathematicians, but the, but the actual mathematics is just kind of a side a sidebar. Whereas it's interesting here that the actual problem of P versus MP actually is what the movie is about. So it is actually, you know, the, the mathematical aspects of the movie are important to the movie. Um, I just have one last question, which was uh, okay. basically, it was interesting that some of the mathematicians in the audience of the movie last night made the point um, afterwards that this wasn't a fictional scenario, that the work mathematicians do do currently, some mathematicians, is, is classified because they are working on things to do with security and things like that. I mean, do you want to sort of comment on the fact that maybe um, the importance of math mathematical work and also the fact that maybe there are ethical questions that, that mathematicians will have to start considering at some point? I think that's certainly the case. I mean, I mean is that, you know, this is not really science fiction, as, as you pointed out. So an example is quantum computation. We, we believe that quantum computers will be able to factor numbers very efficiently. Um, or we know that if we build a quantum computer, it'll, it'll be able to factor numbers very efficiently. And you can, you can be sure that there are, um, that there are um, physicists working and, and trying to build a quantum computer in secret. That's, that's almost a certainty. Um, and when they do, there are going to be consequences to, um, to them building a quantum computer. Um, and likewise, the, the historical examples, so for example, the, um, crypto, the cryptographic protocol of RSA, which is now widely used, um, it was actually discovered about five years earlier, but it was kept secret. Um, so maybe that, that the discovery of RSA maybe is a good example of the futility of keeping mathematics secret, because you may, you know, maybe um, um, a, a spy agency will solve some of these problems before the public community will. But it's just a matter of time before those results are made public anyway. So uh, in some sense, keeping mathematics secret is a bit futile, I think. That's it for this podcast. You can find out more about the movie, Travelling Salesman, and the mathematics behind it on the PLUS website, plus.maths.org. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now.